Amen. Amen. Thank you, Gaz. It's funny how God works. <clears throat> when um, Gaz and I were having a conversation in, in the car on the way up after pre these conversations, um, God gave me an image of Gaz and I couldn't stop crying, <laughs> but I was driving as well. So <laughs> we made it. We made it. Um, I was embarrassed, but it was just that um, I think uh, this would be, you know how Jesus is he's always looking at crowds and all he feels is compassion? Like, that's what I want to grow in. God, I want to be compassionate. I, I, I want to be like you. And when he gives you images that cause you to uh, praise him for the way he makes people, uh, it's really moving, isn't it? Um, and so that's a wonderful experience I got to have with Gaz. So, brother, thank you. And, and Shalom is what I wanted to share this morning. I actually did a video of this as well. And I was saying to Gaz, you could just play the video, but you didn't get the video, so that's okay. I'm in person, um, which is so much better. Um, it's actually amazing to look out and see some faces um, that, that I know. Uh, that's, that's quite beautiful. So I want to say shalom to you this morning. Uh, peace be upon you. Um, this idea of shalom, I'm actually not going to unpack a lot of it, but I want to show you how I see it out working. Jesus is, is showing up saying that a lot, shalom. And the idea of shalom is that it is making order out of chaos. That's sort of implied in the word, in the original understanding of the word. But the idea is that I have a connection, a oneness, an integration. Something is happening because of who God is. And I've listened to a couple of Andrew's messages, so he set the frame for this, that there is a king with a kingdom. And shalom is probably one of the most amazing elements of this kingdom because it's actually about threads of connection between things so that they might become one. So threads of, so um, I commend this book to you for those of you who are note takers or uh, the, uh, Lisa Sharon Harper wrote a book called The Very Good Gospel. Phenomenal work. And she says this, shalom is not so much in things as it is between things. So think of it, if you're a visual person, Meredith, think of it as like a cord of connection. And as I was thinking about that image, I was thinking, but it's not an umbilical cord of connection. <laughs> um, some people actually do uh, run around with umbilical cords, you know, metaphorically speaking, trying to find life from you. But this kind of connection, actually, this thread of connection is life-giving because it's, it comes from the source of all life. So, so here would be the four ways that you will experience shalom. First of all, with God. Then with others. Then with self and then with creation. So connection in all those four quadrants is necessary. Now, two of those we don't really talk too much about. We talk about God and others, don't often talk about self. There's probably reasons for that, and, and often don't talk about creation. But what's interesting is, and just listening to Andrew's last message, if we don't deal with those elements, I'm going to say things like justice will go awry. Because justice will not spring from shalom, but something else. My experience is I worked for Anglicare for 10 years um, and, and I work with people in the streets, I work with sex workers, I work with people who are, who are literally living on the margins and, and, and that's where I learned most about the way the kingdom works. And Jesus says that so many times. Like This is, how, this is, how, this is where you're going to see the kingdom at work. And what I caught in myself so often 
was uh, lovelessness, self-righteousness, judgmentalism, and other things, and through proximity with brokenness, I now get to see permission to have my own brokenness, realize what's real about that brokenness, and then how would I establish these threads of connection between people so that I could truly say, peace between you and I, because Jesus has created peace between, this is exactly the Scripture, peace, He has brought this through His blood shed on the cross. So I've got this with others, I've got it with God, but I want to read, if I can, because I want to set our hearts on the reality of who this Jesus is, as we've sung about, as is always talked about, He is the image, this is from Colossians 1, Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, all things, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation, under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known and the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to His saints. I didn't pause between verses in there because I thought, isn't that amazing that Paul (laughs) casts this phenomenal image of Jesus, who He is, the preeminence of Jesus, and then goes, but now I rejoice in my sufferings. What's the connection? And this, this is the thing that I wanted, to, I wanted to name. It's a little bit brave, but I, I'm actually going to give a model f- that I use for discipleship and an example from my own life because one of the things I think God is doing in us is we've lived in a weird epoch, but we've lived in that weird epoch probably for the last 40 to 50 years, and prior to that it was probably normative and we're probably back to normative. That is viruses, suffering, you know, nature and supernature. Other cultural commentators will tell you about that. But I grew up in the 70s, and I'm going to say this, the primary idol of my life, the primary things where I get unstuck is comfort. That's just how I've grown up and that's part of my formation as a person. And I think God's doing something with that, maybe just in me, but I think in others as well. And so there is something to this idea that shalom, if it's about becoming integrated and connected and becoming one, by the way, just to say, you guys are a part of a network of churches called Churches of Christ, there's 62 And the primary gift of this group of churches was unity. That's why this group of churches started, actually not as a denomination, actually against denominations, to say Jesus only has one body with many parts. And we are all for unity in John 17 and Jesus' heart for unity. So actually the posture is about 
being united in Christ Jesus' prayer in John 17 is about that, right? So his concern, the heart of God, is that we would become one with him. We'd become one in a sense with others. I think also not in a mystical sense, but also with creation as stewards and then with our very selves. And the reason I want to focus on this little bit, I'm going to draw a little model to show you how I see this working um, because I think this is about discipleship. And I would just say this, this is the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that all discipleship is a group of people being conformed into the image of Jesus. That's what it is. Nothing with what we do or don't, it's not about form, it's about who we're becoming. Are we becoming like Christ? If we're not, it's a really good question to ask what our discipleship is because I think we're always making disciples. Question's what kind? <laughs> Everyone's making disciples but what kind? And I think for Christian discipleship it is, are we becoming more and more like Jesus, more compassionate, more loving, having his heart for the world? Um, that's the work of discipleship. And so as iron sharpens iron, that's what we would want. So this, this is how I understand discipleship working, right? This is you, and you're, you're walking along this particular direction, going in this direction, but then this thing hits you called and I'm a terrible, I should not be doing this. I am terrible with a whiteboard. Adversity. That word adversity means adverse. James uses it in the start of his uh, epistle. Consider it pure joy when you face yeah, trials. It's adversity. It's that word. Adverse means turned against. That's what that word actually means. So you're walking along in a particular direction, you hit adversity, something comes against you. This may be awkwardness, it may be suffering, it, there's lots of things it could be. But what I find is the next step that happens is you become, this is a journey of descent by the way, you become aware. The light bulb goes on, I call this, you are now turned on. You are literally aware of things that you were not aware of before. So the adversity has led to an awareness. It, it could lead the other way, to a numbing. This is what I'll do in adversity. I will run to numb because I don't like pain. And I've forgotten something. I've forgotten a treasure hidden in the gospel. Didn't, didn't Jesus say, take up your cross and follow me daily? How on earth do we end up with a gospel that was about prosperity and your... I don't understand how we ended up with that. I, I really don't. Like, it, Jesus makes it quite clear. Paul makes it quite clear. Paul boasts in his sufferings. We've lost something. And so I could run that way and numb, but actually if I take the invitation, and that is God. He's a God who invites. He woos. He draws. He doesn't mandate. But, as the psalmist says, and I'll use this moment to read Psalm 23, because at the start of this uh, psalm, there are some interesting words. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness or the right path for his name's sake. And you know how the rest of it goes. There is a reorientation that God does on the path. <laughs> he makes us walk in paths of righteousness. I believe that's this. I believe it's the journey of descent. I believe this is taking the low road. This is becoming more and more like Jesus. 
Um, Thomas Merton, uh, he was a, a monastic, uh, he was a Trappist monk. I listened to some lectures that he wrote in the 60s. He had this phenomenal picture. He said, my monastery was a place where I exited the world as an object of interest and I returned in hiddenness and compassion. Meaning, it was all about me <laughs> and the monastery became a place where I actually could return to the world in hiddenness and compassion. A lot of justice things, a lot of attempts at this are about the person or a cause or something like that, but have you noticed sometimes they don't have shalom to them, like it comes with anger, comes with something else? But a true movement that comes with shalom actually changes things. So if, if you have this moment of adversity and then awareness, the next step for me along this path is acceptance or integration. This is a key one. This is the inner bit that I'm talking about for your life. This is, some people don't like this because of psychology and other things. People don't like, the, they could call it navel-gazing. You know, I don't want to go navel-gazing. I don't want to look inward. I want to say if you don't, you probably can't fulfill Jesus' commands because he says, love your neighbor as yourself. So who are you? <laughs> like, Who's yourself? How do you understand yourself? And this, so what, what I find happens is that an inner work, an integration starts to happen here. There are great tools in psychology that I love that help with this. Um, there's one called IFS, I won't talk about it much, but it's internal family systems, which is a way of trying to help understand the parts of you uh, that you find maybe are at war with each other. And, and you'll know this, right? Because you always say, well, a part of me thinks and a part of me, and Paul says, well, I do what I don't want to do and I, don't, I do what I, you know. So there's a war that goes on internally. So, but at some point, I find this, either, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I have spent much of my life fighting things that God's not asking me to repent of. I just haven't learned to love myself. <laughs> like, I've despised those parts of myself, and God made them in His image. And then there are things I need to repent of, but I'm not going to go too far if I spend my time trying to repent of things that He's made me part of His image bearing, and I'm despising them. And our culture promotes this, right? We're terrible at this. Us, Gaz, I have a go every time someone puts themselves down, don't I, Gaz? <laughs> because th that's the culture we have. But it's actually, you, but, you, but you're made in the image of God. You're beautiful. You're unique. There's only one you. And the chances of you being here are phenomenal. Jesus has a plan. He knew you before the foundation of the world. You were a design in his mind. Unleashed on the world for his purposes, for his glory. No one else can do what you do. So how do we spend more time thinking about, okay, well, how have you made me so that I can do this bit, so that I can love God with, this is what I call awe. This is so I can love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is actually how I can now love others. This is worship in spirit and truth. But you have to go through the process. If you take the shortcut, <laughs> if you want to go from here to worshiping God, you probably won't. Um, <laughs> it's probably short, and Amos would have some things to say about that because he could say, well, your lips are there, but your heart is far from me because this is, a, this is a work. This is what the Holy Spirit does. John the Baptist said of Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, fire, <laughs> sifting, testing, refining, making us, like it's going to involve adversity and challenge, right? But going through this leads to awe. Now, this is what I find happens. You keep doing this, <laughs> all your life, like this. You keep going through, and this is the kindness of God. B 
Because I don't know about you, but are you finding that you struggle with the same things you were struggling with 10 years ago and 20 years ago and 30 years ago? And you're kind of going, come on, <laughs> hell man. But that's the kindness of Jesus. Each time I bump into an adversity, <clears throat> I come to an issue. So I'm going to give you an example, a bit vulnerable. And is this being recorded? It is? Oh, that's fine. I don't mind. It's fine. So you can gossip all you like. It's fine. No. Um, <laughs> uh, this, this is how I... So, so I went and had, uh, in my role, they make you do a health assessment. So I did a health assessment. And in that, the results weren't great. I was obese. Statistically, I'm obese. And that's a very hard word to hear. Oh, okay, thanks. Um, carrying a lot of visceral fat. You, 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 you need to lose 10 kilos. That, I'm like, oh man, like, what the heck? <laughs> like, so I'm sitting there in a bit of pain going, okay, then I'll probably need to think about my diet. Oh, hmm. Here I am again. Here I am again. Here I am again. Constantly dealing with this issue of my eating. Come on, where's the freedom here? But actually, there's deeper levels each time that Jesus invited me to see. Because of his kindness, he doesn't shine a flashlight on our interior world. It's a candle. There's a proverb that says it. The, the spirit of man is a candle of the Lord, searching the innermost places. This is the intimacy of God. He searches you with a gentle light, with a candlelight, not a spotlight. So he doesn't make us see everything at once. And then Paul picks up a, this amazing just counter-transaction to that. He says, I give you my Holy Spirit and you can now search me. Like, <laughs> you can't get a more intimate picture that God gives. He searches you, and then he says, oh, by the way, search me. Search me. Know my ways. Oh, what a beautiful gift. That's how good God is. So as this, this journey keeps going, I'm going, okay, what do I need to become aware of? Yes, I'm eating again. Now, this is kind of funny, but it wasn't at the time. One of my boards says, Daz, I've had a prophetic word for you as I was praying for you, but I don't know how to say it. And I was like, okay. Um, he said three words. Watch your weight. <laughs> and I was like, Jesus, you really care then about my weight because why would he say that? And he's like, Daz, I feel, I'm sorry. Then he said, I think spelling matters. Um, I think it's what your W-A-I-T. And that was the light bulb moment for me. Wow. Because in the role I'm in, in the life circumstances I'm in, there's a fair amount of waiting for things at the moment. And how am I waiting? And the funny thing is my weight and my weight were linked. Because in the pain of certain things, um, I would just numb by watching TV and eating rubbish, like rubbish food that has sugar and stuff not good for my body, body, rubbish TV that has violence, sex, all these sorts of things that are horrifying for your soul. None of this is good. This is all numbing, so I don't have... Ah, okay. Because my waiting was more like the waiting in the wilderness, you know, where they built golden calves, instead of the waiting in the upper room, like the early disciples. Don't you feel that we're on the edge of something? I think we are. I feel like we are. God, what is this? The whole COVID thing and this... Where are we on the edge of... And in my waiting, I can get impatient, but we need fresh fire to fall from the Holy Spirit. That's what we need, and we need to wait and wait well. That was the prophetic word to me, and my waiting. So you see what's going on, I'm now becoming aware. So I can kind of repent. <laughs> I can go, God, I'm so sorry. Uh, here I am again. Thank you for the way you work. Thank you for your love. Um, I do need to eat, um, but I don't need to eat how I've been eating. 
and I could be more mindful, and I could savor taste the tongue. You know, it's, a, it's actually amazing because James picks this up as well about the tongue, how we use it to praise, you know, or to overeat in my case. But do you see, my moment became awe at the grace of God, like it became real. The grace of God on me is real, and it's only by sitting in grace that I would have compassion for anybody else. Otherwise, I'll be judgmental. So you'll find I have zero judgment about anybody to do with weight or eating because I understand this wrestle, right? Now, I've given you one example of how I see this working. I could have given you stuff around my attachment styles and how that's affected my marriage poorly. I could give you my over-functioning in my parenting. I could give you, I could keep going, right? I could give you all these examples of the vulnerability of where God has given me this pathway. But each time, what I understand happening is my soul is being enlarged. He is making space here for his arrival, for his dwelling, because he lives here. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. Space is being made in this process. That's how it happens. But as I was thinking about this, this idea of shalom, do you see, in my overeating, so in my waiting period, what's happening is I'm actually not attentive to my wife or my kids, perhaps like I should be. So do you understand now there's a fraying of relationship in that cord of connection between my daughters and I and my, I've got three of them, my daughters and I and my wife and I. There's a fraying between me and God because <laughs> the psalmist says, you know, at midnight I rise to praise you. You know, for me it's at midnight, there goes the fridge, you know, like it's, that's, that's, that's not the way it should be, you know. It, it, there's something about his, his kindness as I'm going through this particular thing but I'm frayed with my family, frayed with him, and I'm, I'm disconnected from myself. I'm not as integrated as I could be at this point. I'm not connected to what's real. I'm numbing it. And I also think, if you think of stewarding creation, which we're meant to do, I'm consuming resources that I don't need to. You know, it's easy to look over there and say, well, there's people starving in the world, and, and you guys are doing hampers. We should be addressing those things, but... but Sometimes, I don't know about you, but you can feel overwhelmed that I can't help all that I want to in the world. Like, there's so much pain, so much suffering. What I can do, though, the responses I can make is I can make better decisions about stewarding creation, including food. I know this is a small example, but do you see what I'm saying? There are what, this idea of shalom and connection when it's between God, others, self, and creation, if we carry it in all four quadrants, I actually think we'll change the world. So this idea of suffering, here's, what I'll, here's the final thing. Oh, sorry, I always do this every single time. Sorry, I'm no longer, I'll, I'm going to wrap up now in two minutes. Is that okay? Are you guys okay if I keep going? Yeah? Um, I find, uh, I, I, met, I got to go to the States this year and met a spiritual director, and um, he said, he has this amazing picture, because when we're talking about suffering and adversity, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, Death is at work in me, so that life is at work in you. And Paul says, we're always carrying around in the body. I mean, think about the ways you carry little t traumas in your body, right? I don't know about you, but I've had some traumas in my life and I carry them in my body. I get anxious in my body. Paul says, we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus might also be made known. We have to hold both together. The death of Jesus and the life of Jesus. A lot easier to preach the death and talk about the life. But actually, Paul says you need to carry both. And that's how James can somehow say, yeah, consider it pure joy when? 
So this is how I understand something of this working. In my pain, and you will all have this, I'm just giving you a small example, there's way more pains, I just didn't want to get too <laughs> vulnerable on the stage, but in that suffering, this is what the spiritual director said, you need to become like water filters. You need to absorb the toxins, the anger, the pain of this world. It stops with you, but the output is kindness, grace, love, compassion. You see, this is the transaction. This is how the Holy Spirit people of God are built to absorb. This is Jesus on the cross, by the way. This is the pattern. This is how Jesus on the cross absorbs all of the toxins of this world, all, the, all that is wrong with this world, and then cries these final words. You know them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How on earth did he cry that? You know, this is the work and this is the model. This is what we're able to do. A uh, great st- uh, little story that I was told during uh, racial intensity in America in the 60s, one African-American student at this monastery actually said, I learned to make my body a grave for hate. The hate stopped with him. And then the output was kindness. And so, therefore, think about this. Two problems you could have with this. Well, then am I going to enable bad behavior? No, it's just recognizing people are going to yell at you, people are going to cut you off with traffic, people are going to, but shalom, that would bless. <laughs> like that would, but, but as you are transformed, this is why we need our disciplines of silence and solitude, right? This is why we need it, this is why we need the scriptures, why we need each other, because we need community as iron sharpens iron, because somehow I'm now carrying this and I need to put it somewhere. And it's to the cross every single time. Jesus, can you take this? Because actually you're the one who bears burdens. I I can't do this. But that is how the world will be changed. If you don't transform, you'll transmit. You'll become a conduit of the energy rather than a transformer. That's reality. I see it all the time. And unfortunately, in my role, I get to see the beauty of the body and also the pain. I get to see what gossip does, what slander does, what enmity, division, strife does to a church. Gossip, other, I can't believe how much that can run rife in certain, you know, it's unbelievable. And again, because these words, that Proverbs says, gossip is a tasty morsel, but they're so damaging, so damaging. So you can either receive this, absorb it, and then offer kindness and compassion back, and then watch the world change. I think that is the invitation, but in my experience, that, and look, I've still got, well, if Lord wills, I've still got a bit of a way to go. I'm still midlife. This might just be part of my midlife crisis, but this is how I, this is how I understand this journey happening. And I feel like, just in my experience, there's a lost component because I don't feel like I was told, hey, when you come to Jesus, it's going to hurt a bit. <laughs> like M. Scott Peck, Christian psychologist, starts his book, The Road Less Traveled, this way, Life is suffering, and once that's transcended, it's no longer a problem, as in expect it. Like, and somehow you cannot read Jesus, you can't read the Gospels or in the New Testament without seeing there's an invitation here to go and die. So we will, one way or another, we will die. And the spiritual director that I met with is late in his 70s, and he said this, Daz, there's three stages to life. The first one is you struggle to get your life together. Then you struggle to give your life away. 
And the third and final stage is the struggle to give your death away so that your death is the maximum benefit for the world. Again, patterned after Jesus. That is an interesting thought because I don't even think about my death, don't talk about my death. And again, Thomas Burton, who I was listening to in the 60s, says to his students, just throws out this line and says, oh, by the way, meditate on your death regularly. <laughs> when did you hear that? Or when did you last hear someone say, oh, um, I'm just filling up in my flesh the, the afflictions that are lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions? You know, we, we don't... <laughs> So there's something I think God is reclaiming in this season around how God's people suffer. You know, we, martyrs we all know suffer, but the word martyr means witness. So maybe there's a witness component coming that's going to be different for us in the future. I actually believe it is. And I think God's preparing us. Of course, he, like, he's, he's enthroned, right? He's very aware of COVID. I, I said to Keith Farmer, actually, just one of these things, I said, it, my experience of... COVID, I just want to name this because I thought it was really important, is that I feel like that was a massive invitation from Jesus that we didn't take as his people. This is a whole other talk, save it for another time, but I do want to say this because I believe the, this shalom, this peacefulness, this restfulness, this trust and living in Jesus is going to be the thing that will be our greatest witness to this world. Not our overfunctioning busyness and anxiety and stress, because there's enough people seeing that. That's what the world's like. Jesus offers rest. And I think COVID, I looked back in history, what had happened, because I had Jubilee pop in my head, it's just Jubilee, I don't even know what this means, but this is what happened when COVID started. And I look back in history, what happened 49 years ago, seven sevens of 49, Jubilee, what happened? And you know what, was, what actually literally happened was the development of the microchip. And I had this sense that the human is becoming more machine. That was my strong, and that here's, I'm gonna, it felt like God was like, somehow in all this, it was being arrested. Come back to being a human again. But ironically, I don't know about your life, but I became far more machine. I was on Zoom for 12 to 14 hours a day, board meetings, this and board... Like, that wasn't, that wasn't the invitation. The invitation was into rest, into trust. I, for one, did not take that. And that's what shalom will bring. A true understanding of shalom will bring the ultimate rest and peace because you know you're connected to the vine, to the source. And you'll be able to love God and love others as yourself in the context of your creation as a steward. If we don't do this work, brothers and sisters, other ideologies will grow up and try and deal with the problems. Because people see them. I worked with people that wanted to make changes, systemic justice changes, as they should. But the problem was, the cry was coming from an unformed place in them. So it was filled with anger because they'd not done the inner work. They weren't compassionate. They could see the justice problem, but it didn't come with shalom. It came with anger and self-righteousness because totally missed the inner work. Absolutely critical to do. So I'm going to finish there. I'm going to finish with a priestly blessing. I'm going to look at you and I'll say this, because may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance, that's his face of delight, upon you and give you peace. So Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the beautiful way that you work. We thank, I thank you for the love that you have for every person in this room, unique image bearers of you. Jesus, you gave yourself for each of us. And we say these things, but could you, 
by your Holy Spirit, cause that truth to arrest us again and again and again every day so that our experience of you is awe? Would you cause us and shape us to be your people who look more and more like you? Uh, We do long to see this world changed. We long to see people meet you, Jesus. You, Jesus, like who you are. And you've called us to be ambassadors of a message of reconciliation. So would you help us walk in that by your power? You know we can't do this. You know we are but dust. But somehow you choose to use us clay vessels and we carry this treasure in jars of clay. So fire us up to consume us with you consuming fire. God, who is consuming fire, consume us with you. And may we be carriers of shalom. May there be true shalom in the areas that we operate in, showing what your kingdom is like. Jesus, we love you. You are our king. Thank you for the gift of one anothering this morning. I pray that what is said this morning, what is of you, would stick, and what is not of you would fall away. I pray this in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.